Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, August 5th. God's nature is childlike in this sense. He loves us without being in any way conditioned by our feelings toward Him. He wants nothing from us. His unceasing hope is to welcome us into His infinite home. He is, he is without the slightest ulterior motive he wants nothing from us but our love. And being complete in himself, he knows he also has our love, though it be misdirected toward an infinity of worldly desires. He knows it because what all of us seek is his bliss. You know, I feel the necessity to speak about male pronouns here because it is an issue. You know, God in Swamiji's mind, Swami's own devotion to God was to Divine Mother. That, that was his uh, Ishtadeva, perhaps, and I, I may be presumptuous in saying that, but his devotion to God, Ishtadeva, means the chosen form of God that you feel most um, inclined toward. But he, he, he was a devotee of Divine Mother, so it was the feminine that appealed to him. But what many people don't understand is that both masculine and feminine are equally true, and that it depends a little bit on how you're speaking about it. Masculine is more impersonal, Feminine is, is more personal. That's, you know, men and women exist because duality exists in creation and duality is a balancing of opposites. That doesn't mean that women are a certain way and men are a certain way. It means that yin-yang, which is the most neutral image you can think of, where you have the full circle that's divided into two little paramecium, two little paisleys that fit together perfectly and you can't really tell, neither is more important. You simply can't have a full circle without either. You have a coin, it has two sides. And the value of the coin is not this side, is, it has this value, and this side has this value. It's two sides of the same coin. That's what that, uh, uh, that's what that means. They're just exactly the same. People in an attempt to correct what may be too um, patriarchal an inclination in society are trying to eliminate the concept of the impersonal masculine aspect of the divine because they're trying to equalize the relationships between men and women. But it's a serious mistake because the impersonal is very important for the yin-yang balance. And if you're in a male body or a female body, you must come to the perfect yin-yang balance. And generally speaking, although by no means always, you, you tend to be leaning a little toward the, 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 the fundamental nature of the gender of the body you inhabit. Not always, but it doesn't really matter where you start, because where you have to end is that you become two sides of the same coin, because we all have to reconcile the opposites of our nature in order to succeed. So when Swami is using he, it's very deliberate. It's not, I mean, elsewhere in this book, and I've commented on it, in just sheer grammatical terms, Swami always felt he was, what you might say is his education was too classical, he was too old-fashioned, he was too resistant to trends, 
He just used he as the impersonal pronoun, meaning mankind as a whole. And that was the position he took. He couldn't, he couldn't change that. He, he didn't want to and he couldn't. But when we're talking about the divine, sometimes the divine is he, and sometimes the divine is she. It just depends on the context. In this particular context, um, God is spe- he's speaking about a very impersonal aspect of God, that he's, how does he put it, you know, he has no, his, he's, it's just, it's impersonal, that's the word I'm trying to use. He's standing back. He's just standing back, and so he is the right word. Master Yogananda, there's a recording of Master, and he says, uh, you know, pray to, pray to God as the mother. He can't resist you when you pray to him that way. Meaning that the distant spirit comes close to you when you appeal to, to, for the intimate. And the female is, it represents, the, the mother represents the more personal aspect. Again, do not think men and women. Just think of yin-yang divine qualities. So Swami's talking about a very impersonal aspect of God that just simply observes, has no ulterior motive, absorbs our love. He is not, he's not intimate with us. And the other thing that uh, Swami, uh, Master Yogananda says about praying to the mother, because if, when you pray to, to God as mother, he can't resist you, then he says the mother is much closer than the father. So if we want to start competing, which sometimes men and women especially you know, want to compete, well, the mother is much closer than the father because the female is, is in our lives. That's, it's personal. When God, when God feels personal to us and not just this gloriously elevating impersonal spirit, then it becomes the mother because that's what it feels like. But then the impersonal spirit still inspires us to lift ourselves beyond all limitation, and the mother holds our hand and cheers us on as we go toward it. You see how it all sort of begins to play itself out together. So what Swami is also trying um, to help us to understand is we, we need to find a way to be absolutely unafraid of God. We must have no fear, no secrets. That's why the mother image is very appealing to us. Swamiji said, everything in this world is a symbol of a higher reality. He made that as a categorical statement once. Nothing in this world is meaningful in itself. Everything is a symbol of a higher reality and is trying to teach us and inspire us to embrace that higher reality. And everything that we experience in this world is just a very dim reflection of what it really is in its um, full, infinite expression. My mind just, you know, oftentimes I just think about, oh my, you know, how do I think about that? Mother love, father love, romantic love, the love of a mother for its child, the devotion, as Swami's talking here about, the childlike way that a, a child responds to its, its parent. You know, all of these things are to teach us and show us the, the positive potential of our own nature so that we will be inspired to, to seek that positive potential on an, an ever more expansive, ever more everlasting um, um, 
way of understanding it. Swamiji even commented, you know, the, the physical sun is, represents, is symbolic of the spiritual eye. That was the one where I, I really began to realize I have a long ways to go. I have a really long way to go before I can break. Well, when in, in the advice for yesterday, there was the phrase, God is waiting for us to unravel our psychological kinks. You know, there's just so many psychological kinks, uh, past life habits. Uh, uh, maya. Maya is the hypnotic delusion of this world which keeps us from perceiving reality as it actually is. There's so much of that. Now, the sun is just a symbol of a much more expansive reality, which is the spiritual eye at the point between the eyebrows. Now, I don't know about you, but my forehead feels kind of small to me, especially when I'm contemplating something of how many, you know, whatever the numbers are, the bazillion of of miles of the size of the sun, of the power of the sun, of the transforming reality of the sun, of the life-giving power of the sun, of the utter dependence all life on this planet has on the sun is a symbol of the power of, of the Christ consciousness at the spiritual eye. Even just in a physical sense, Master said, um, the entire material universe is like the basket, the little gondola basket, under a huge helium balloon. A friend of mine was actually a balloonist, and I, I you know, I, I, from time to time came in relative close proximity to her uh, helium balloon, and I've actually ridden in the little gondola and looked up at the balloon. So I have an idea of how big it is. And recently, actually, we were having dinner in her, her house, and her house is, I think, 70 feet long. They built the house. And she used to repair her balloon. She had this sewing machine, and the balloon was as long as the house when it was deflated. Now, Master said, the basket under the helium balloon, that's the, the whole material world sits under the astral universe. That's the whole material world. That's not just Earth and its sun. And we're talking about the astral universe. We're not even talking about Christ consciousness, which is the causal universe beyond the... You can see I'm way beyond my portfolio, as I often say. But oh my. And so then Swami puts it in here. You know, the child, the way a child loves its parents. And he says, how did he say it? God's nature is childlike in this sense that he loves us without being in any way conditioned by our feelings toward him the way a child loves his parents. Swami didn't finish the sentence, but that's how it is. You know, the way babies love their parents is, you know, and enjoy their parents is just, well, those, you know, the, the Internet is filled with just hours and hours of Googling babies. My friend, um, when he became a parent, not a parent, but when he became a father <laughs> and had children of his own, he was a man of, you know, some dignity, and he, he wasn't a clownish sort of person or an actor or anything like that. He was a person of, of restraint. And he absolutely swore that he would never be one of those dopey, doting fathers who just made fools of themselves, even in public places, 
just in order to make his child laugh. He said that resolution lasted about two hours <laughs> after his first baby was born. It's just like, you know, that child, just the, the child's relationship with the parent is so utterly without guile and, and from the other side of it is so magnetic. It's just so magnetic to be loved so completely and to just and the joy of that exchange. Now Swami's telling us that's how God loves us. And we don't normally think of God as a baby except briefly at Christmas time. But uh, one of the classic bhavs, bhav is the spiritual mood with which you approach God. One of the classic bhavs is God, God is the child and the devotee is the mother or the father. In the West, it's a hard one to understand, but in India, all of the deities have a baby version. And usually the baby version has a different name. Krishna, as a baby, is Gopal. And there's this, this little murti, this classic statue. He's crawling like this, and he has one hand out, and he has butter in his hand, because the baby Gopal was very mischievous, and he would go to the butter bowl, and he would sweep up the butter like this. So you have this little baby, you know, puppy little baby. This is like a deity. Westerners have no idea what's going on. They just think it's completely crazy. How could God be a baby? But what we're trying to do is we're trying to take the symbolism of how a child loves its parent and the, and the, the spontaneous response of complete uninhibited love. My, my friend just said freely and openly he would do anything to make his children laugh. And all sense of dignity or embarrassment went out the window as a completely trivial consideration compared to the absolute pure, just pure joy of pleasing his children and having his children be pleased with him. Now, it's a symbol of how we can love God. It, it's symbolic, meaning, it's not that it's not meaningful in itself, but it tells us what is possible. Now, of course, those darling little babies grow up to be big, hulking, rebellious teenagers, and worse, you know, often when I see doting parents and small children, I've never raised kids, but I've seen enough kids grow up, you know, enjoy them all you can, because they don't stay that way. But you see, God remains that way. So we touch into that, we understand how blissful it is, how free we feel. And what we love most of all is the joy that passes through us. And then we begin to figure out, this is to show me what's possible. This is to show me what's possible. I remember I had two friends, one of whom I didn't get along with at all, and one of whom I absolutely adored. And I, I heard this, even-minded, be even-minded. And so I said to Swami one day, this was my only excuse, is this was very early in my spiritual life. I said, Swami, the, the problem is, because he knew I was always having trouble with this other woman, the problem is not that I, I love her too little, that I don't love her enough, it's that I love this one too much. So if I loved this one less, then it would even out. And only a couple of times has Swami uh, been, uh, been spoken to me like this. But this was one. He said, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> And he said it in a way that it was just like, oh, I, <laughs> I wasn't hurt. I was just impressed. He said, the reason God gives you the, the wonderful love you have for this one friend is to show you what's, what you're capable of. 
And he said, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to love everyone like that. That's not the aberration. That's the beginning of the truth. Okay? So, God's nature is childlike in this sense. He loves us without being in any way conditioned by our feelings toward him. He wants nothing from us. His unceasing hope is to welcome us into his infinite home. He is, at, he is without the slightest ulterior motive. He wants nothing from us but our love. And being complete in himself, he knows he also has our love, though it be misdirected toward an infinity of worldly desires. He knows it because what all of us seek is his bliss. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.